Welcome to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, bonus edition. After season two ended, we decided to do a bunch of bonus episodes, and we hope you've enjoyed them thus far. Wild Quincy is surely a great podcast, and I hope you guys have subscribed to Chris and Travis's new endeavor. While we gear up for season three, we decided to release yet another bonus episode, making this number three. In today's episode, you will see some testimony from someone that I believe has the most crippling of all evidence, but her testimony was never taken seriously. As far as Occam's razor is concerned, Mary Jo's testimony is the least amount of assumptions, because Mary Jo can place them exactly where they were last seen. In the second part of this bonus episode, learn all about Jerry Vineyard and his escapades exploring and mapping caves throughout the Missouri area. So sit back and relax as Chris takes you through these two amazing people that bring insight into the Lost Boys of Hannibal. In this bonus episode, we dig deeper into two people involved directly with the boys' disappearance in 1967. One of them had a story to tell that fell upon deaf ears. The other, a background into a searcher that played a prominent role in the search for the boys. Today, we discuss Mary Jo Powell and Jerry Vineyard. How Mary Jo Powell became involved with the boys' disappearance is something that was not even known about until 29 years after that fateful day in May of 1967. Her story was never included in any of the written reports by the searchers, nor available from police reports from the case. Her story only came to light via an April 1996 letter to the editor written by then 67-year-old Powell to the Hannibal Courier Post. The letter to the editor post, titled, Tragedy Will Never Be Forgotten. Dear Editor, Concerning the Hogue Boys and the Dow Boy, I and my husband and two sons lived for over two years on Fulton Avenue. The Hogue family lived just south of our home. It was only natural that my sons and the Hogue Boys became friends and good buddies. They were all the same age and all the same grades at Stoll School. They played together, fought together, made up, traded items, and slept out in pup tents together. It was nothing for me to come home from work and find Billy and Joey in my front room watching TV or whatever together. For instance, the boys came in laughing and whispering together one evening while I was fixing our supper. I asked them what was going on, and I got no answer, so I went to check on them. Billy had traded my son his pet bull snake for a penknife. Needless to say, this trade never got off the ground, and Billy was pretty put out that he didn't get the penknife. Later, he cried his heart out over the neighbor man killing his snake when he found it in his garden. Needless to say, in all my talks with Billy, Joey was more reserved and I never got so close to him, did he ever mention anything but a happy family and a lifestyle at home. Then, as things do happen, we moved to the west side of Hannibal and rented out our home. On May 9, 1967, we drove over to the south side to collect our rent. When we parked the car, Billy saw us and came running up to the car, gabbing a mile a minute. My husband went in for the rent and I stayed in the car. Billy was telling the boys about the new cave he and Joey had discovered and wanted my boys to go with them the next day and explore it. 
Instantly, I was alert and started asking him where this cave was located. Billy pointed to the base of the hill below Lover's Leap, nearly directly across from Highway 79 and Fulton Avenue. He said the bulldozer had broken the dirt off the hillside and there was a big crack in the hill. He and Joey had seen it open into a big room and they were going to go inside the next morning. I told him how dangerous it was, but he was so excited about finding it, he wasn't worried. I told him to make sure he told his mom where it was and even kidded with him about being another Mark Twain. His answer was, yeah, won't be that something. He asked me again if Tony and Randy could go, and I told him no, it was too dangerous. So he said, okay, then he'd tell us about it later. Then he said goodbye. Those were the last words we ever heard from him. The next day, we were all in shock over their disappearance. So like the most of Hannibal, we rushed to the south side to try and help. People were all over the sidewalk just standing and talking or joining with the officers in the search. We finally found one officer who was going to search the back of Stoll School, where there was a strip of marshland and a sealed cave entrance. My boys said they used to play there. We tried to tell the officer what Billy had told us the night before, but he just wasn't interested. In the end, I was shocked to learn of all the dangerous places my boys had played. Lots of places I never dreamed of, like a storm drain they had gone into and came out of at the Mississippi River. Another that took them downtown by the Hannibal National Bank. Why on earth are these drains without locks and accessible to young children? I know the paper stated that all possible means were made to find these boys, yet why didn't the officials check where they were digging the hill away on 79? Would it have cost too much time and money? Seems as though they were running behind on the contract, but after all these years, I can't be too sure about that, but it's worth looking into. I do remember this though, a little brown and black dog sat for two weeks on the bank where Billy said he found the cave. Each evening the little dog went home, but the next day I'd see him sitting there just waiting. Then one day he was gone, and I never spotted him again. Did he give up, or was he maybe killed by one of the heavy machinery? Now after all these years, this Mike Bailey has come up with ugly rumors and gossip that only slander the Hogue name. It is my opinion that Hogues have had their share of hurts and sorrow for a lifetime. Is Mr. Bailey planning or stirring up the public for his own private interest in renewing all of the old hurt, or is he really dedicated in the search for these lost boys? What does he really expect to find? Is he drumming up business maybe for a book? To the Hogue family who are left, I offer my sincere sympathy for the renewed pain you must feel because I do, and that's 29 years ago. I couldn't get anyone to listen to our story that was told to us by Billy. I tried, but no one would listen. I just never got loud enough, I guess. I'm sorry. Mary Jo Denny Powell, Hannibal. Next, we move on to one of the searchers that looked for the boys in May of 67. This guy was one of those that was very involved with the investigation, but unfortunately, the only way we can find out more about him is by his remembrance when he passed away in 2017. We turn to the MSS Liaison. This was posted in July of 2017, and it's titled Remembering Jerry D. Vineyard, a personal tribute by H. Dwight Weaver. 
It is difficult to lose a good friend and a mentor in your life, but it happened to me on March 31st, 2017, when Jerry D. Vineyard passed away after suffering far too long from Parkinson's disease. I am grateful that he is part of my life in one way or another for 61 years. I first met Jerry through correspondence in the summer of 1956 after I had become a member of the National Speleological Society. You could pretty well count on your fingers the number of NSS members in the Missouri state at that date. The NSS put us in contact with each other. I was fresh out of high school and preparing for my freshman year at the University of Missouri-Columbia, where Jerry was also beginning his senior year. Just a few days after school started, we began caving together, tackling numerous caves in Boone County and making trips to the Devil's Icebox and further afield to Carroll Cave. Now, many years, caves, newsletters, issues of MSS in the Missouri Speleological Society, meetings, caving field trips, and our outings together that had nothing to do with caving as well as working together for 15 years at the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, Jerry and I have come to the end of our remarkable journey together. We knew it would happen eventually, but you're never really prepared for such a thing. Jerry is one of the three founders of the MSS in 1956, and as the years passed, he was one of only three who remained steadfast in supporting the survey, living through its troubled times and enjoying its good times on a daily basis. His contributions to the MSS are incalculable. I wish every caver had been able to get to know Jerry as well as those of us in the long-timers crowd who are still alive. We know what we lost, and it's substantial because Jerry Vineyard was a remarkable person. For more than 40 years, Jerry was the face and voice of the MSS locally, regionally, and nationally as his position as the Missouri Geological Survey and his guardianship and management of the cave files made him the point person, the go-to person for Missouri cave information. He typed up on a small portable typewriter what became the initial foundation of the cave files in 1957 and his lifetime they became an enormous repository of valuable information because of his close cooperation with all the people and entities that contributed to the files. He corresponded with cavers, professional people, bureaucrats, politicians, scientists, landowners, and everyone else who had an interest in or need for Missouri cave data in his endless quest to build one of the finest sets of state cave files in the nation. He also kept the public informed by sending out regular press releases as Missouri cave statistics grew from a few hundred known caves to literally thousands of caves. He provided leadership and inspiration that is often hard to find, and he did it in a way that not only succeeded for Missouri, but won the respect of cavers and most everyone who came into contact with him. He was certainly one of the best friends that Missouri Caves and Cavers have ever had. As a guardian of the cave files lodged at the Missouri Geological Survey in Rolla, he went to bat many times for the MSS within the governmental entity to which he and the MGS were attached for the benefit of the MSS. Some politicians, as well as political operatives within the agency, would probably have ended the MSS-MGS relationship long ago if they had had their way, but Jerry was there to look out for the interests of Missouri Caves and the Cave Files. MGS was not only a repository for the survey cave files and maps, but the division reproduced the original cave maps, no matter how large they were, in a usable format, stored them, and made them accessible to everyone. Most of this was done at little or no cost to the MSS. The division also provided, free of charge, space for cave files. Thanks to Jerry, the MSS was awarded with the National Volunteer Action Award by Ronald Reagan in 1985 for the survey's work in locating, recording, and surveying the caves 
of Missouri. Jerry was one who signed the nomination papers that led to the award. What was Jerry like as a person? Physically, he was not an imposing man, for he had a slight build, yet he had a commanding presence. His voice was soft, but when he gave a talk or needed to speak out, his voice boomed. He had a great sense of humor and was noted for his practical jokes. He was quiet much of the time, a good listener, and a deep thinker. He was creative, thoughtful, and considerate. In all the six decades that I knew Jerry, I never heard him speak ill of another person. He lived the golden rule. As the expression goes, still waters run deep, and Jerry's depth of personality and reverence for caves, nature, and respect for his fellow men were exemplary. There were contradictions in Jerry's life as a speleologist and hydrologist. He just barely tolerated the mud and water in caves. On various occasions, I saw him climb huge clay banks to avoid six inches of mud and water in the cave system, which is, I believe, why he always managed to come out of the cave cleaner than any of the rest of us. Jerry, a lifelong member of the NSS, had an amazing range of knowledge about many subjects. He was a skilled writer, editor, and conversationalist. I wish we could turn the clock back 60 years and let Jerry continue to be our guide to great achievements. For the caving community, Jerry was a phenomenon of the 20th century, and he will be missed in so many different ways. I have to give Jerry credit for a lot of my own accomplishments because he was always there behind me, pushing me to achieve. I learned so much from Jerry. He was a man of faith, not only of spiritual matters, but also the faith and trust he put in fellow man. I, for one, am glad that he walked into my life six decades ago. Jerry, many of us loved you dearly. You left us your beauty and your loving family. Your wife Helen and your daughters, Vanessa and Monica, remain to brighten our thoughts. Your accomplishment, friendship, leadership, and legacy are going to be remembered for a long time. And that is written by... H. Dwight Weaver, May of 2017, the MSS Liaison. Next, we move on to a story written by Jerry himself. It's called The Polka Dot Underwear. It was written in 2013 in the Subterranean Journeys. Hey, Jerry, I like your polka dot underwear, said a female voice. Surprised, I wondered how she knew. By then, everybody was laughing at my expense. I checked my zipper, no problem. But then I felt a slight breeze in the back of my pants and found a slit across the seat of my jeans. That explained how she knew. But who set me up? It was 1956, or maybe 57, who remembers? Oz Hockley and a passel of his biology students from Warrensburg with Lois Parker from Licking and I were probing the cave spring, Devil's Well system, along the current river in the very early days of the MSS. The locals had told us a fantastic story about a deep underground lake in a small cave just downstream from the cave. We had to check it out. The entrance was small and well hidden in brush. We really didn't believe the stories we heard, but we changed in caving clothes and stashed our dry clothes in a niche beside the cave entrance before starting the crawl. It was low and dry, but after about 300 feet of crawling, we came to a place where there was no floor in the passage, just an open pit. With our carbide lamps, we could see green water and a hint of side passages in a lower level. Wow, the rumors were true. We started looking for something to measure the depth with, but all we could find was a climbing rope that Lois Parker had in his pack. Quickly, we found a rock and tied it to one end of the rope. Then we all watched as the rock end hit the lake, pulling the uncoiling rope behind it. Fascinated, we watched the rope move down the unfathomed depths until it was all gone. No one was holding onto the loose end. We never saw that rope again. 
but it was a nice rope, so all we could do was name the cave after it, the Parker Rope Cave, and plan to return another day for more adventures. While we were in the cave, some canoeists came down the river, discovering our stashed dry clothes, and one of them cut a slit in my jeans that exposed my polka dot underwear. We never found the perps, but we were pretty careful about hiding our dry clothes after that experience. The polka dot underwear turned out to be a great chick magnet, lol. Jerry Daniel Vineyard, 82 of Ozark, Missouri, passed away on March 31, 2017. He was born near Dixon, Missouri on March 26, 1935, the only child of Henry Vineyard and Florence Vineyard. Jerry is survived by his wife of 56 years, Helen, along with his daughters, Vanessa and Monica, as well as five grandchildren. His childhood was spent exploring the hills and hollers of Pulaski County, which led to a lifelong passion for geology and made him a tireless advocate for conservation projects all over the world. Jerry received his Master's of Science in Geological Sciences from the University of Missouri-Columbia. He began his career teaching at Kansas City Junior College, followed by a 40-year career with the Missouri Department of Natural Resources in Rolla, Missouri, retiring as Assistant State Geologist. Jerry proudly served in the U.S. Navy after attending ROTC at Mizzou. He achieved the rank of lieutenant and served as a gunnery officer aboard the USS Chilton. Jerry was a member of the Clarence Cannon Dam Wholesale Water Commission and negotiated water distribution rights on both the Upper Missouri and Mississippi Rivers. He was a lifelong member of the Missouri Speleological Society with a focus on cave survey which encouraged scientific study of Missouri's caves and water resources. He served as a board member of the LAD Foundation dedicated to preserving Missouri's natural areas. He authored, co-authored several books on Missouri's natural wonders, a copy of Geological Wonders and Curiosities of Missouri, co-authored by Dr. Tom Beveridge and Jerry Vineyard, is in the time capsule of the Missouri State Capitol to be opened 100 years in the future. Jerry considered it to be an honor to be a public servant and worked hard to preserve Missouri's natural resources for all to enjoy.